For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, welcome into the House of L podcast. We are brought to you and presented by Zinni. Zinni.com. I am, uh, I got my new Zinni frames on. If you have not checked out Zinni and you wear glasses, you really should. Zinni.com. They have, uh, I was mesmerized by all of the choices and it was super affordable too. So it was time for me to change up my look a little bit and Zenny gave me the opportunity to do so so if you wear glasses or you know someone who does zenny.com is the way that you can find a funky fresh pair of frames for a really low price it's weird I had to go and it's so weird like how much stuff you haven't done in the last year or so and everything feels like it's been fast forwarded anyway so I was like, I was just at the eye doctor. I, I don't need to get a new prescription. I was literally just at the eye doctor. And it turns out that the last time that I was at the eye doctor was like February of, of 2020. So, you know, scripts only last a year. And I was like, I haven't. I haven't done any of this stuff. Like, I'm sure I need to go to the dentist. I've been terrified to do that. Not because I haven't taken care of my teeth, just because I haven't been there in a year. And I went to the eye doctor, and he hooked me up. He's like, oh, your eyesight's not that bad. I wear my glasses, like, all the time. I'm not one of these people that I see some news anchors do this stuff, and I'm like, if you wear glasses, then just wear glasses. Don't do the thing of you're on the camera you take the glasses off, you're off the camera, you put the cam- the glasses on so you can read the story. I like that's why I like Zinny. It gives you a chance to change up your look. But yeah, that was when I was like, oh, my my script is good. And I was like, no, it's not good. Cause I have not been to the eye doctor in a minute. But I have been, and my eyesight seems pretty good. I am looking forward to uh working these new frames. They're very, very nice from Zinny. So we thank them for being part of the podcast. Before we get to our guest, and our guest is a great one and incredibly timely, I had to go back and change the intro to this episode because as I'm recording the the intro for Christopher Hine, we are seeing another police shooting in Minnesota, and we're seeing sports be shut down because of it, and Christopher covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. Their game has been postponed, and he, he's been living in Minneapolis. So it's, it's a big part of the discussion that we have, but I wanted to make sure that I went back and changed the open of this episode because we don't talk about – we did this interview a couple weeks ago. We don't talk specifically about this police shooting, but we do talk about the aftermath of the George Floyd murder. And his point of view on it is a really interesting one, like being in the middle of it and being in the middle of, of Minneapolis over the, the, the last year, what it's been like living there. So I wanted to, to let you know that that's what was going on with this episode in case you were wondering what was going on with this episode and if we were going to talk about some of that stuff. I really like Christopher. 
and I'm I'm so glad that he was available to do this episode. He's one of the people like you know you're putting together your your wish list of people that you want on the podcast, and his story is an amazing one, like amazing. So I knew that I wanted to have him on the podcast, and we we went from this episode goes from really silly to very serious to really silly yet again. And I'm so glad that that anytime I've talked with with Christopher, he's been he's been more than generous with his his truth and his story. But there was stuff in here that I didn't know and I'm glad that he shared it. If you don't know any of the background on Christopher, he's one of the he came he came out in the paper like as a writer for the Chicago Tribune like he he came out he wrote a story about being gay and what it's like for him and we got into there's a really good anecdote that he tells about that piece that he wrote and the reaction that he got because at the time he was covering the Blackhawks and the reaction that he got from the organization and some of the players. So I'll, I'll let him tell that part of the story, but it's a great story. On top of that, we both share a love for Mariah Carey. We talked about Mariah Carey. He is, like, crazy over the moon about Carol King, and I know that, so we talk a little bit about her as well. Some of the keys to being a writer, like, there's a lot of good stuff in here, so we will get to Christopher momentarily. As I said on the last episode that posted, we are in right now. We are in a deal with Manscaped. Manscaped.com. They have the new Lawnmower 3.0 available. And if you go to Manscaped with a D dot com and order it, if you use the promo code LOHO, you will get 20% off. So they're they're testing out the podcast. They want to see if we actually have a reach. And if we get a certain amount of people to buy them, they will come on board like full time, which is great because that would give me an opportunity to launch another podcast that I've been wanting to launch. I mean, if not, I'll try to figure out a way to get it done regardless, but this would go a long way to helping me pay the person that I want to pay to do a podcast on House of L. So if you're in the market, if you want to get groomed up, and I know that they have the funny commercials about keeping yourself groomed, keeping your business groomed, but it works on your face and your ears and stuff too. We don't have to go to the nether regions, but on the it's fine. It's safe for your face. It's a really good, I, they sent me one. It's really nice. So, please, if you can, if you're capable of doing it, manscaped.com, and then use the promo code LOHO, L-O-H-O, and you will get 20% off, and you will not be disappointed in the product. I promise you that. Okay. Christopher Hine is a remarkable writer. He's a very good reporter, and he is a top-notch human being. It's why I enjoy talking with him about a lot of stuff, and I'm glad that we got the chance to to hook up and, and compare notes and talk about all sorts of things, sports-wise, journalism-wise, and what his life is like. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I know I did. This is Christopher Hine here on House of L. How we doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm in Los Angeles at the moment, so I'm doing okay. The weather's a little a little nicer than Minneapolis. Yeah, we got hit with like a three hour snowstorm yesterday. I I saw that on Twitter. People people from Chicago <laughs> complaining about that. <laughs> it was it, it was like three hours, and it was fine. Like it's it's fine now. It's like forty degrees, which is yeah. more than we could have hoped for a few weeks ago because it was just terrible. Yeah. But I imagine sunshine is better, so I won't keep you from the sunshine uh, very long. I'm recording now. No so. problem. Okay, awesome. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I, I haven't listened to all the House of L episodes, but I've listened to some involving, especially the ones of people I know from back in Chicago, and they're always great conversations. So, so I appreciate you having me on. It's great. I wanted to know you've covered a lot of different sports. Is there mm-hmm. any that you feel like you've connected with more than others? Because I mean. You've got bylines for NFL. You've got bylines for NBA, MLB. Like, is there the one the Olympics? <laughs> right, the Olympics, the NHL. Yeah, yeah. So, which ones? Where Where do you feel the most comfortable? You know, it's it's a it's a good question. I I um, my dad was a basketball um growing up, so basketball has always been close to my close to my heart in that sense. Um, but. And I went to Notre Dame and I got to cover Notre Dame for the Chicago Tribune. So, so I would say, I would say probably the, the, the program that, that I connected with the most and, and had maybe the most fun covering was Notre Dame basketball when I got to do that for two years. Um, I just, I cover, I covered the Notre Dame program when I was a student reporter at, at, at Notre Dame. And I just really enjoyed uh, covering that aspect of it. Not to say I didn't enjoy covering football as well, because I did. But Notre Dame basketball, I just had a great time. Um, you know, Mike Bray is one of the best in the business to deal with um, as a reporter. Um, so I, I, and they had a really good year when I covered them in 2015. They, uh, they went to the, they won the ACC tournament title and, and uh, went to the Elite Eight and lost to Kentucky. Um, and it was, it was just a fun, it was just a really fun run, uh, a couple week run there. So that's after they had remodeled the Joy Center, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. I think that place is a, you know, I know people talk about going there to watch a football game, but I got to tell you, the Joyce Center is pretty nice for basketball. It, it, it used to not be, and now it is. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a friend of mine got married there shortly after. Uh, he had his reception kind of in the Purcell Pavilion part of it, and that was like one of the first times I had seen it redone, and it was just a night and day difference from what it was to, to what it became. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of it. Although they did do this weird thing, Chris, where everywhere you went, it was DePaul was playing Notre Dame, and everywhere you went, if someone opened the door for you, they say, "Welcome to Notre Dame, welcome to Notre Dame, <laughs> welcome to Notre Dame." And at first, I was like, "Oh, this is really nice and quaint," and then I was like, "Wait a minute, wait a damn minute!" Does it, does it, does it take on like a horror movie quality or something? Yes. Like- Yes, that's that is it. Yes, it takes on a horror movie movie quality where you feel like you're being set up for something uh, with the folks there in South <laughs> yeah. Bend. It was a little bit strange for sure, but I but I always uh, I always enjoy making that drive from Chicago to South Bend. I think it's mm-hmm. a really cool drive, and you see a lot of interesting things. W- what was it like to to cover them back then? Um, it, it was, it was different. You know, when you cover your, like your alma mater or you cover even, even when you're a student reporter covering the team at the time, you know, you, you, you really do lose your fandom and, and you'll hear a lot of, you'll hear a lot of sports writers saying that, but when you have to treat it as a job, like you're not, if you, 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 it just out of something automatically clicks inside of you and you lose the fandom part of it. I, at least, at least for a lot of people, I think that's, that's the case. Um, so you just view it as a, as a, as your job and you have to be as objective as possible. And that, and the way I covered Illinois or the way I covered the Blackhawks or the way I covered the Timberwolves now was no different than how I covered Notre Dame. You know, <laughs> there were a few academic scandals when I was there and you write about them as truthfully and as honestly and as well reported as you can. And you don't, you know, you're not covering anything up or anything like that. It's just... I don't know. There's just something that clicks inside you. I, I can't really explain it where you turn, you turn from maybe being a fan to, all right, you're objective reporter. Now it's very clinical. I I'm still recovering from this and I don't know if it's ever going to change for me when it comes to the bears where I grew up a bears fan. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was my team. When I was a kid, I used to have a poster of Jim McMahon and Walter Payton it was called Chicago Vice, and they were dressed like, you know, of, of Crockett and Tubbs, and it just made me laugh, like, every time. And I had the junkyard dogs, the offensive line guys, and, and when I started covering the team, like, it all just went away. And yeah. now that I don't cover them, like, on a base, a daily basis, like, there's room as a talk show host to, to live inside your fandom a little bit. 
I'm still yeah. not there. I, I root yep. for people, but I don't root for the team. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's that's a really good point because like I have a my my group chat with my college friends is probably the, is the group chat that I text with the most. Like there's hundreds of messages a day in the in the WhatsApp thread that we have. And and when football season rolls around and, and even to a lesser extent basketball season, they get fired up about it. They get passionate about it. And I just don't have that same level of passion, you know, even even just in following the team and keeping up with, you know, whether it's recruiting or, or all the things that they're into, I'm just not there. And I've never told them this before. So when they hear, maybe when they hear this, this is the first, <laughs> this is the first time they're actually going to hear me saying this, but it's just not there for me anymore. And I think it's because I covered it, you know, uh, going six, seven years ago at this point, uh, that it just kind of stamped it out of me. Let's go back to you covering the Blackhawks because you covered mm-hmm. the Blackhawks at a very interesting time in that mm-hmm. franchise. What do you take from that experience? I really enjoyed it. Um, I came into covering hockey as a very naive in, in terms of what hockey, like the first time they asked me to cover a hockey game with the Chicago Tribune, I was terrified. And I think a lot, I think a lot of sports writers who don't know hockey are terrified if they're ever given a hockey assignment, like just kind of cold. Like you didn't, uh, you didn't grow up in hockey. So it, it I didn't grow up in hockey, right, right. Never, never played hockey, never really watched it growing up. Wow. Um, I, I grew up in, in near Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and we had the, uh, the AHL Penguins affiliate there. So I, I went to see a couple games of them growing up, but I never watched it regularly. So I come to Chicago and obviously I came to Chicago in like 20, 2009, 2010. So right as you know, the first cup run was happening. So you get enveloped in that in the city and you're watching, you know, as, as I think a lot of people did, you're watching the playoff games, you know, religiously because that's the thing to do in Chicago when the Blackhawks were, were making those runs. It's like every, every other night you're watching the Blackhawks playoff game. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to hockey was, was that first run. And then 2014 was when uh, our former boss, Mike Kellums, asked me to be a part of the playoff coverage uh, for the playoff run. So that was that was helpful because you weren't the main guy doing it. And you had, you know, Chris Cook was was the beat writer and immensely helpful and knowledgeable and put up with, you know, somebody who somebody who didn't know anything, you know, now writing stories on a regular basis. And so, you know, I think you know, Chris for his patience in that. Um, and yeah, that was my introduction was the 2014 playoff run. I covered the 2015 cup run in kind of that same capacity. And it was then that I took over the beat. Um, but so by that time I had had like a, a, a little bit of a, a ramp up, a ramp up into experiencing hockey, being around it, knowing kind of what to expect from the media, from the Blackhawks. They knew, they kind of knew who I was because I'd been a part of the two playoff runs so I wasn't coming in completely cold for the 2015-16 season when, when I was the first, uh, that was my first year as the beat writer. How would you describe the change that happened mm-hmm. of, here's how I always describe it. I'm curious mm-hmm. on how you would describe it. Back in the day at the score, back when you used to get faxes, remember faxes? <laughs> barely, barely. Back, back when you used to get faxes, we would get a fax from the Wolves, like, once a month or so, and it would be their attendance versus the Blackhawks' attendance. <laughs> and there would be Sundays that the Wolves would get 13,000 at Allstate, and the Blackhawks yeah. would get ten to 12,000 over at the UC. That was 2007. And you coming to the city right as the, the first cup, like the, as they're getting – how would you describe it to someone on what the city was – at the beginning of the run versus what it was hockey wise at the end. The passion was, was always, was always there. Do you, you mean like at the end of 2015? Or yeah. You mean like when I left. Okay. Um, the passion was always there. Like, and it felt like it felt be, it felt like it became more of a ritual. It's like, all right, well, 
it's it's the middle of May and it's a Tuesday night, but we're gonna go out to the bar and watch the game with everybody and and have a f- way too many drinks for a Tuesday night and wake up Wednesday morning hungover. Like that became part of the city culture and identity. I feel like during that playoff run um, or those playoff runs, uh, and it really was a cool thing to experience. And actually, one of the stories I did in 2016, I remember when they got knocked out in the first round was. I talked to a bunch of bars about like how much revenue are you losing because the Blackhawks didn't make a deep playoff run. And I, I remember, I think one bar owner said like, like probably 10 to 15% for the year. He said, wow. because the Blackhawks only got only made it in the first round and they didn't make it to the Western conference finals or the Stanley cup final. So that resulted in like a 10 to 15% drop in their overall revenue projection for the rest of the year. So it just goes to show you like, how big a part of the city it was. I mean, nothing compares to the Cubs World Series. That was, that was, I feel like a whole other, a whole other beast. And I've never seen uh, Boys Town <laughs> quite like it was after the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> um, Fill me but, in. What was what was Boys Town like? I, I, because I, I, <laughs> sure, yeah. So, so after after the Cubs won the World Series, I remember I was I was in Chicago. The next day, I was flying out to go to Dallas to cover the Blackhawks, but. The night the Cubs won the World Series, I was in Chicago watching it with a buddy of mine and and, you know, they win. Everybody's partying and we walked towards Wrigleyville. But, you know, I, I, I hang out in Boys Town, as, as some people you know might know. Uh, <laughs> and I've never seen so many straight people in Boys Town as after the 2016. <laughs> because <laughs> because the crowds in Wrigleyville were so jammed that the spillover effect was going over to boys town. So people were just looking for an excuse to party. And, and I've never seen Roscoe's have so many Cubs hats and Cubs jerseys uh, in, in the intermingling of crowds, quite like I did that night uh, after the 2016 world series. That's dope. Like, I, I experienced <laughs> this a little differently. Like I was in Hyde yeah. park when this happened mm-hmm. and Hyde parks weird because you would think that it would be a sock stronghold. Because of the proximity yeah. to the park, but it's not. It's it's a mixed bag, and it's. I would say, if I had to guess, I would say Hyde Park. If we're talking, we take a hundred baseball fans from Hyde Park. I'd say it's probably sixty forty Cubs in Hyde Park. Interesting. So that's fascinating. So so you have a, a little bit of a celebration going on in Hyde Park, and then uh-huh. the next morning, I'll never forget this. The next morning, uh-huh. I took the train into work off of the 63rd street metro it goes right into the mm-hmm. the score where the the building where the score is and i mm-hmm. i ran across a lot of you know cub fans that were getting on the train i saw one guy in a white size cap and i happened to be wearing mine that day because mm-hmm. because we're petty um <laughs> <laughs> i see i see the one white Sox fan and he just nodded at me like they have their party. They get to do their little thing. <laughs> and, but now that's over just, with. <laughs> just, just, just give it five years. Just give then, it. Then, then we'll the be expectations set. flip. Yeah, yeah, we'll be totally ready by then. But it was so crazy to see, like people as I'm going to work, and you're making your way down to the city on the train, and each stop, there are more and more Cub fans like getting on the. The Exodus, I, I had to do, uh, I did like some fe- uh, feature previews for the World Series for the score. And I went to Wrigley before game six and game seven in Cleveland because I was just curious on yeah. what was going on. And that's, remember, they were writing on the walls with chalk? Yep, 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 yep. I ran into a fan from Pennsylvania who had come in that night. That day, and I said, what are you doing here? I was like, the game's not here. Why are you here? And he's like, yeah. I don't know, but I quit my job because they wouldn't give me the days off. I quit <laughs> my job, and I just wanted to be here. I just wanted to touch Wrigley Field. And and coming from Pennsylvania, he could have made it to Cleveland a little easier than he might He went right past <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> And, and it was just so crazy, like, seeing all of it. I I look at it really fondly. Even as a White Sox fan, I thought it was cool mm-hmm. to – like, the, what you're talking about, what you're describing, yeah. where 
here's a mingling of of groups that might not necessarily mingle. And right. everyone's out here balling out and having a really good time. Yep, yep. And and you felt that in the city. And it was one of the the really fun parts of living in Chicago when teams were good. Um, there's not, there's nothing quite like it. And, you know, and I haven't, you know, I've lived in Minneapolis for three years and, and people, people get very excited about the Vikings. They get very excited about the twins. Um, they haven't had as much reason to be happy as Chicago did (laughs) in the early part of the decade. But man, when, when the teams win, like the collective mood of the city is just, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. It, It was, it was awesome. It was pretty powerful when you decided that you were going to come out and you were going to write about your experience. I I wonder, is anything about you being an out sports writer different than you thought it would be before you were out? Um, Not really. I I think when I first started my career, I never thought I could come out. I didn't think that that was going to be a safe thing that, that was like 20 2000 2009 2010 and that was right around kind of the it gets better movement uh that took over kind of social media and and you know eventually we made pr- progress in terms of getting gay rights so i always had imagined that i would kind of be living this kind of double life i didn't think i, I didn't think i'd be able to to come out professionally um just because i was fearful you know I, first of all i was fearful about coming out in my personal life then once I did that, I thought, okay, well, I've come out in my personal life. I don't really need to come out in my professional life. But then as you know, time went on, I had some things I wanted to say. And like that feeling just kind of grew uh, and you know, grew and grew. And by the time it came in 2016 and some things happened in the world that I wanted to say some things about, the editors at the Trib, uh, you know, Tim Bannon and Joel Knowles, um, they gave me the space to do it. And I'm forever grateful for, for that. Um, I I honestly, since moving to Minnesota, I haven't really written a lot about gay issues in sports. Not, not a lot of, not a lot of stuff has popped up on the radar mainstream wise to, to where I could go to like my editors and say, I want to write about this and, and have like the audience care about it. Um, But it's still, it's still a part of me, even if it's, you know, my day-to-day life is, it doesn't seem to have much of an impact. It's still very much a part of who I am. I think about that a lot. I mean, that, that what you said about, you know, you were out in your personal life. And so it kind of didn't matter if you were out professionally. How, how scary was it for you to think about putting pen to paper or fingers to computer and, and writing that piece, like writing those words? Yeah, I think I think by the time I was able to do it, it didn't feel as scary. And, and I think that's why I was able to do it was because I had lived in my own skin for long enough. I was by that time, by the time I came out professionally in 20, it was 2016. So I had been uh, out in my private life for about six years. So that was enough time for me to get comfortable, like, you know, in Chicago, living in Chicago was was great for that. I mean, there's no city quite like living in Chicago to help help somebody who's newly gay or out of the closet feel comfortable um, because the city itself is just so vibrant and so rich and 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 that was one of the best things for it. And so by the time 2016 rolled around, I was like, I, I feel like I have more things I want to say and the 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 weight of wanting to say those things outweighs the fear I have of whatever retribution might be there for, for coming out. Now, the, the initial thing that I wrote about coming out involves something that happened at the NFL draft combine with Eli Apple. Um, that, that came six weeks before the whole Andrew Shaw incident happened, which was a whole other ball of wax in terms of feelings and, and emotions, uh, you know, six weeks later when that happened. Um, but the initial, the initial column was very much, no fear. My parents were fearful. My parents asked, are you sure you want to do this? And, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I want to do this. Um, you know, they feared, you know, they, they feared backlash for me on my behalf, whether it was from like the Blackhawks or the NHL or, or the paper or whatnot. And I said, I don't think we have anything to, to worry about here. And we didn't. What was the experience of going back into the dressing room after that, like, because it seemed like from, and I'm looking from afar, 
it seemed like there was a level of acceptance that you were expecting because you had already built these relationships, but maybe people on the outside weren't. Yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate, I, and I think that was part of it too. And and you know, it it went well overall. And and I, I never really told this story publicly before, but I, I I don't see why I should hold it back now. But after in the days after I wrote the column, um, I was walking out of the UC, um, and Jonathan Tate stopped me, and we were walking by each other. And Jonathan Tate stopped me, and and he said. He said, hey, you got a second? And I'm like, sure. And he's like, I thought that was really cool what you wrote. He's like, I really liked it. I thought it was great that you wrote it. And thank you for writing it. And, you know, that was that helped as well. <laughs> when the captain of the team kind of, you know, says that was really cool that you wrote that. And so you kind of knew going forward that there probably wasn't going to be a problem in the locker room. Um, and there never was, um, even after the Andrew Shaw incident and, and things that happened with that. Um, there was never an issue. And, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that that happened, that, that he, that he took a, a few minutes to, to say that uh, when he did. I swear, man, that dude, <laughs> I, I have so much respect for him, like on a lot of different levels. Like he's one of these guys, like that he, I think whatever community you're kind of in, in Chicago, Jonathan Taves has made a point of, figuring out a way to reach you, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm looking at it from my own perspective as a black man. I know that he's on the West Side working with black mm-hmm. kids on them loving mm-hmm. hockey. Like, for him to go out of his way to stop mm-hmm. you and talk with you about this, I just feel like that guy is everything you want in the face of your franchise. That he he gets it in a way that most hockey players aren't comfortable publicly getting it. And, yeah. and I love the fact that he, he walks it like he talks it. A hundred percent. And I, I, you know, wish, wish him well. I, I texted him, you know, after his health, his health uh, issues were kind of announced. We don't, obviously we don't really know kind of what's going on with him, but I just said, you know, hope you're feeling okay. And, and, you know, he responded right away. Like, you know, you don't, sometimes you, you, you don't have those relationships with players you covered and, you know, beyond the time you, you know, you interact with them, you just move on. And, but, but he, you know, he responded right away, even though it's been a while since, since I, you know, checked in on him and said, hello, uh, he responded right away. Um, and it was, it was just nice to see that. And, and like you said, he, he gets it. He gets what it means to to be the captain of a hockey team in Chicago, like you said, and yeah, he's one of I think you know one of the best leaders in sports, and the record the record proves that. Um, funny story about that was uh, in when I was in Winnipeg and I was working on a big story about him in advance of the 2016 playoffs, and and I got to know his family a little bit during the reporting of the story, and and after I, I had come out. Um, his his mom also said something to me when I saw her and and she was you know really nice about it and and I thought, I thought it was funny his his mom was like we should we should we should introduce you to Jonathan's cousin you know maybe, 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 something, maybe something could maybe something could happen there and I'm like oh please like <laughs> she was already t- trying to set you up huh? his mom his mom was trying to trying to set me up yeah <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Can we talk about hockey travel for a second? Sure. It's unique to North American sports. The, the the cities that you get to go to versus someone who covers MLB or NBA or 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 the NFL for sure. What's a place that you found to be maybe even better than you were expecting traveling mm. in, in into NHL cities and arenas? Vancouver and Montreal. 
no 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 question in my mind and i i i hope the nba expands to both cities <laughs> in the near future because vancouver i i'd never been to vancouver before i started covering for the blackhawks it is one of the most beautiful cities aesthetically that you could ever visit the the combination of the mountains the water the the just gorgeousness of the city uh it's it's you, you see why they film a lot of tv and movies there because it's gorgeous uh montreal on the other hand is equally gorgeous the 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 gay district there is great i actually i i fell in love with montreal so much that i went there for their pride uh in 2015 um and just had a had a great time i loved it um so much fun so much culture so much great food uh, so Vancouver and Montreal are the two places that I miss getting to go to on the company dime now that I'm covering the NBA and not the NHL anymore. Yeah, one of my buddies works in, in Canada in sports radio in Vancouver, and he's mm-hmm. always like, you need to come up here. Like, you need to, you need to you see this do. place. Yeah. It's that, it's that. So Montreal, I get, like, that's a world city. Like, I get it, and it's got a lot of, from what I've seen, I've been to Toronto, I haven't been to Montreal. From what I've seen, it has its own character to it. Vancouver, to me, anyone who's gone there, everyone that I've ever talked to is like, you need to go. Yeah, it's it's a hidden, I don't want to say it's a hidden gem because it's a big city, but it's like, you don't think like, oh, I'm going to go on vacation in Vancouver. That'll That'll be a fun thing to do. But you really should because it's gorgeous and there's oh, there's a ton to do whether you just want to kind of live it up in the city or just do some fun like outdoorsy kind of things like i said there's there's mountains there's water all next to each other it's it's fantastic uh yeah put it on your list uh once, right. we're, once we're able to once we're able to go to canada again <laughs> yeah once once they allow us to come and travel has that been an yeah. issue wait where are the raptors now are they still in tampa or are they back in toronto yeah, they're still in tampa they're still in tampa oh. Yeah. oh that is that is quite the the difference i think toronto is very much like chicago i i would agree with that yeah if it feel like when i went there i covered a bears bills game in toronto mm-hmm. and i was like this feels familiar. Like I was just kind of driving around the city going, huh, this is like the same place. And I really, I am really enjoyed that part of it. What's, what's covering the Olympics like? The Olympics was, I like to say the Olympics was sport writer boot camp. Uh, Because you're just, you're, you're going from, you're covering, you're waking up at like, you know, six, seven in the morning to get to an event that might be happening at like eight or nine. And you have to, you know, catch the bus to the to the venue, and then you come back. You write. You maybe catch a very quick, very unhealthy lunch potentially, <laughs> <laughs> and then you you turn around again and you go out and cover something in the afternoon or the evening. And you're writing on deadline. You're trying to cram in whatever features you're trying to work on, and then you wake up the next day and it's another 14, 15 hour day of covering stuff. That was the Olympics. I only covered one Olympics. It was it was Rio in 2016. Um, but I was, it took me a week to just get my body like adjusted to the rhythm of, of covering the Olympics. And then by that time, you know, it was halfway done and, <laughs> and, you know, by the time it was over, I was, I was exhausted. Uh, and, but I would do it again because there's nothing quite like it. What's Rio like? You know, didn't get a ton of time to experience it. Uh, the non kind of the non what's the word I want Olympicized view of it uh you know because again you're just you're really just working uh nonstop and and how much of actual Rio are you seeing when you're in in and around Olympic Village right how much how much has been shoved under the bed right exactly so driving around you 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 can see like the flavellas and all that um and you know you hear stories about oh this road you normally wouldn't travel on this road because you know the crime is so high in this area and think so you heard things like that driving around the city or on the buses um but it's hard to get a real flavor of of rio when you're that busy work-wise and it's such an artificial part of rio that you're experiencing but but the olympics again you do 
I would do him again. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, and I've, I've told my bosses in Minneapolis, I'm like, if you ever need somebody to go to the Olympics winter or summer, <laughs> if we ever have the budget to send anybody extra, I, I'm raising my hand to, I'm raising my hand to go. I would go again easily. Cause you know, you don't, you don't experience anything like it. It's, it's very work intensive. It's a lot of work both before and during. Um, but again, there's, there really is nothing quite like it. Do you think that it, it should be something that re- sports reporters, specifically people who, who are reporting, not columnists who've probably had the experience, mm-hmm. but sports reporters, should they aspire to, to want to cover an Olympics because of all of the, the demands that go into covering it? Yeah, and I think you have a lot of fun. Like, I had, I had a lot of fun just covering different stories. Like, you know, one, one day I'm, I'm writing about um, – beach volleyball and the next day i'm writing about like the lap monitors underneath the the pool that the swimmers were using to you know help them gauge how much farther they have so you really and then and then the, and then the next day i'm going to like the u.s men's basketball team practice to talk to you know uh, uh paul george and jimmy butler and things like that so you know where else can you get that in one place but you know but at the olympics that was it's it's a it's a it's sport, sport writer brew camp, but it's also a, a dream come true in, in a sense, because you get to write about so many different things and, and have uh, really just try to have as much fun as you can and, and while you're doing it. What's Minneapolis been like over the last 10 months? Tense. Um, you know, I, I, I was driving around. Uh, I live, I live downtown Minneapolis and that's, you know, that's not, a large it's not where the epicenter of everything was over the summer but it's it's affected downtown and any any building right now that's a government or kind of healthcare related building i've noticed is boarded up uh because the trial is ongoing uh the derek chauvin trial is ongoing so it's it's tense downtown and you don't quite know which which way this is going to go um, but but so much so much is boarded up and feels so much different from from the time I moved there. Um, and like I said, we'll, we'll see how this plays out over the next few months here. But but it's tense. Were you in the city while all of this was going on? Because I, I feel like we had we had maybe texted or or we, I think I came on your show. Yeah. After shortly after it had, it had uh, like all the all the stuff started happening and. I, I had planned to get out of the city because I, I was, you know, inside my own head in isolation for two plus months uh, as we were dealing with COVID and I just needed to get out. So I had plans to like go home to Pennsylvania to visit my family, drive from Minneapolis to Pennsylvania and stopping along the way to visit one uh, set of friends in Wisconsin. So I was doing that. And so I actually was in Wisconsin. That's um, right. That was, that was, that was when, that was when the, the protests started happening. And I remember I was getting ready to leave the city. The, and the night I was getting ready to leave or the day before, I, I, I ran to CVS and I was sitting at a stoplight and 12 police SUVs came screaming through the intersection. And that was when it first hit me. That was when it first hit me that where I was like, oh, like, what's happening here what is what's going on like they because you you can feel disconnected when you're just reading it and especially when you're in isolation and you know you're told to stay away from people stay stay out of you know say stay out of any any part of the city but when i made that run to cvs i was just like this is this this feels different and it it was different than than anything i had experienced in chicago uh, when i was there does minneapolis overall to you i know you said the buildings are boarded up but does the city feel different now than this time last year Mm, it's a good question Uh, it's i i I think COVID has has a lot to do with that in terms of just the 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 culture of of where i live in down at least in downtown minneapolis it's, you know, it's, it could be a very nine to five place, but also has a lot of restaurants, has a lot of nightlife, it has theaters, and obviously COVID has taken away a lot of that as well. But it's, it, it does, it does feel, it does feel, like I said, tense is the word I keep coming back to. And, and you hope that, you hope that 
there's change for, for the better out of all this at the end of this tunnel, whenever, whenever this particular issue uh, subsides. Um, but I think with everything, it's, 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 I mean, it's completely different from a year ago. I mean, the sky with the skyway system is, you know, one of the things that, you know, is, is really cool about Minneapolis, you know, people on their lunch breaks from work, you never step outside, you just go around. Those are empty. Um, you know, there's a lot of like restaurants and shops in that and that and you just wonder how many of those are going to make it on to the other end of this. Um, I was walking through it the other day and it was it was practically empty going to get lunch from one of my favorite spots there. Um, and, you know, just driving around the city, it just it, it feels it feels like a different place. It feels like a, a place that that has been torn apart and is, is trying to come back together in some in some way, shape or form. What lessons do you think that you've learned from this year of isolation that we've been in? I, I, I like what you, you were saying, like, hey, I needed to get out of my own headspace. But inside of all of this, what do you think you've taken from it? Not that I didn't really know this before, but just just appreciating a simple the simple fact of seeing friends in person. And, you know, one of the things that I that I tell my friends a lot, because, you know, when, when pre pandemic, you're like, where should we go? Should we go to this restaurant? Should we go to this club? Should we go see a movie? Should we go bowling? Like like there's there's a lot of talk about like what activity are you going to do as friends? And, and I, my attitude always has been, and I think it will be on the other end of this. I don't care what we do. I just want to see you guys and hang out and chill. We could just sit in somebody's living room, having a drink or two and just chill. I just want to see you and, and, you know, enjoy your company and appreciate you. And, you know, my family, my mom and dad uh, got COVID a few weeks ago and, you know, they're in Pennsylvania and I'm in Minneapolis and, and, that was another moment where I was just like in my own headspace, like, like, oh my God, what if I, what if this is it? Like, what if I never see them again? Right. Cause they're in their late, my mom's 65, my dad's 71. Um, luckily they, they got over it, but you know, I, I never, I never would do this before um, where I would take a, a few days off to go home in the middle of a season. But now that they've also been vaccinated um, I'm, going home in a few weeks to Pennsylvania and I'm taking like a few days out of my schedule and I'll work from Pennsylvania just to go be in their presence. And I think that's, I think that's made me. And so I think when I do like some traveling on the other end of this, it's honestly just going to try to visit friends and just to see them. You know what I mean? My social graces are all screwed up. Like yeah. I've, I've come back to the studio a little bit and doing the radio show. And I've found that I'm like hypersensitive about space and proximity now mm -hmm. and more so. And I was kind of like this before, like I've got some anxiety. So I'm kind of, I was kind of like this before. And on the flip side of that, what you're talking about, like the element of human contact mm -hmm. has been missing and you need it. Like, you need it. Like, I, I kept you do. I kept thinking my mom got vaccinated. She got the first shot uh, about three weeks ago. So she's getting ready to get her second. And the thought of, like, I, I literally have not hugged my mother in a year. That's, mm -hmm. that's bizarre, you know? It's, and, and how do you – how do all of us, like, kind of regain our humanity Yeah. After, after hopefully after all of this is done? Yeah, like, like, are you going to be comfortable, you know, going <laughs> going up to like a, a bar or something like that and ordering a drink with like a crowd of strangers around you? Like, I don't know how that's going to feel the first time I, I experienced that, you know, like it's 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 well put. And, and like you said, you're more conscious now of like how far people away are from you. And but at the same time, you know, you've never wanted to feel closer to people, you know, in, in the same moment. That's it right there yeah. that there's this need for wanting to be of and around people, but knowing 
I think I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who have anxiety, there was a few times you're like, oh, okay, I need a break from people anyway. This will be great. I'll get an opportunity to get right with myself and all of those yep. things until the the echoes of your mind start playing out, you know, loudly inside 100%. your head. It's scary. Mm-hmm. It was scary, and that, and that was and that was in in late May. That was where I was when when. Uh, literally like I had made the plans and, and the day that, that I saw our, our one uh, reporter, Lee Borjani kind of give the details of what happened to George Floyd on his Twitter feed. That was how I first found out about it. Um, and that was the day I kind of made those plans. And I was just like, yeah, you just, you just, I had, I had been so long without seeing people and I needed, I needed that. And I think we all need that on the other end of this. And hopefully knock on wood, we are, we are towards the end of this. I saw that, that you were as usual, as per usual, tweeting about the award shows this past weekend. And you had some (laughs) thoughts on the Grammys. I I want to run something past you because I, I think that you're someone who could appreciate my feelings on this, especially since one of the artists I know you love. I think that two of the greatest diss songs in hip-hop history were performed by Jennifer Lopez and Mariah Carey. I think Jennifer Lopez's Ain't It Funny, where she just destroys Puffy in that song, (laughs) and Mariah Carey's Why Are You So Obsessed With Me about Eminem, are two very strong diss songs that I don't think get enough credit. <laughs> and probably because they're women, you know, that's, right. that's, that, that plays into it a little bit. The, the, genius of, the genius of Obsessed is that Eminem could respond in whatever way he wants, and it only makes Mariah's song look more, like, insightful. It's like, why are you so obsessed with me? Why do you keep saying these things about me? Why, what is it about me that has you acting out so much that's the genius of that song not to mention that it's you know also catchy and and, and a bop uh j-lo I, j-lo and mariah have a tangled history as, as you may know yes uh, uh so i i'm not sure if she wrote the lyrics to that song or if that was a shanti <laughs> or if that was a shanti writing the lyrics to that song um yeah, you know, I'd have to go back and look at the credits on that. <laughs> we got to pull the album cover out and see who gets the credits for the That's song. Great. When did you kind of fall in love with with music? Because you you take your music very seriously. I, I do, probably too seriously. No, um, not at all. I like it. But uh, but um, uh, I I've always been. My dad was always playing music growing up from like the fifties and sixties because that's his that's his era. So I went through a phase where like I was a teenager and I was like, this music sucks. Like, you know, I'm listening to newer stuff. Why are we listening to the oldies? And then when I was about like 15 or 16, I picked up Carol King's Tapestry album and it just opened this whole world of like, oh my God, this music is gorgeous. Like, and it's so much better than a lot of stuff I hear on the radio. And that was around the time I started playing the piano and playing the keyboard and figuring out how to play the piano on my own. Um, and that all kind of coalesced when I was 15, 16 years old. And, and I've been playing the piano ever since. And then a few years later, I started trying to write my own songs and, and things like that. So that, that, was, that was around the time that that all happened. Why do you think Carole King is one of America's greatest songwriters? She's not just one of, she is the greatest American songwriter. <laughs> and I will, I, will, I will go toe-to-toe with anybody who says Bob Dylan or, or Bruce Springsteen or anybody like that because Carole King does stuff with her songs that is unexpected. She, melodically, her songs go in different directions that are surprising to your ear, but it sounds like it makes complete sense. So m- melodically and structurally, her songs are always surprising unique and interesting especially for you know like the 60s and 70s pop music today is so can be so simplistic and always has been her songs were rarely simplistic and even the simple ones were gorgeous like one fine day by the chiffons is a very simple that's one of her more simple songs uh but it's it's really good the lyrics were great her you know her first husband who was who wrote a lot of the lyrics to her early stuff um, and I just think, like, that you could distill her genius into, uh, and if you could distill her genius into one song in terms of 
how great of a songwriter she is. It's you make me feel like a natural woman. Um, the the gospel-y chords to open it, the buildup of that pre-chorus that just explodes into this magnificent, this magnificent chorus, and obviously sung by Aretha, who can sing it like nobody else. But the way that that song is structured, and it's like, it's like if you're teaching how to write a great classic pop song, that's that should be the structure. And I literally just saw like the New York Times write about like the structure of that song in terms of like being a classic example of like, this is how you build a song. Do you think that with Carol King, like what I, what I've always admired about her is that she was able to take all of the influences from everywhere that she was getting it. Yep. And somehow you make it uniquely her own. But yep. it's clear that there is the homage to all of the things that she ended up loving as a child. Yep. Yeah. Whether that was whether that was Broadway or whether it was early rock and roll, like she she found a way to synthesize all that into like like Will You Love Me Tomorrow, which came out in 1960. Like you know, it starts off like Will You Love Me Tomorrow starts off very rock and roll. It's like one one four five, which is like the you know La Bamba chord progression, right? And then like at the at the moment where it goes like tonight, the light of love is in your eyes. That's like very like Broadway-esque, like that break right there and those chords that she uses there. So that song like transitions from like early rock and roll to like classic Broadway in the span of like five seconds. <laughs> and it ended up creating like, you know, one of the most gorgeous girl group songs and one of the most gorgeous songs of all time. Um, that, that, that's an example of her synthesizing that. And then up on the roof is another example of that. That melody is just like, you think of that melody and you think you, it, it transports you right to a rooftop in New York city, like, and looking out at the moon and, and the stars and, and just trying it's, to enjoy a moment. It's very much like, uh, Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay. Like you're there, yeah. like you, you're, you're there, you're in that moment and you're with her, yeah. uh, in that moment. Yeah. So, so for you, how is all of that love of music manifested in your own musical pursuits? Um, I, you know, I, I've never really seriously done it. Like I've never seriously pursued it. Um, and, and maybe I, maybe I should a little more seriously. I, I write music and I have like people record demos for me. I, I'm not a producer. I just, I just sit at my keyboard and I'll just write music. Um, kind of sounds like you're producing Chris. (laughs) <laughs> maybe maybe that's what it is but but i i don't know like the programs and logic and and you know like free loops and all that and whatever what i don't know those programs i'll sit with i'll sit with somebody who knows those programs and be like i want to do this with the drums here i want to do this here so maybe that is producing but yes very but much so that's producing. <laughs> but i'm not an engineer I'll, I'll say that um but that's that's I just like to sit at my piano or or stand at my piano, my keyboard and and come up with songs. And the thing is, the the thing that I have an issue with is I, I feel like I know so much popular music that if I start doing something with a with a song, I feel like I'm stealing or borrowing from from something that I've heard before. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like this song. So I have to try and go in a different direction here because I can't just outright copy it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you get in, you get in trouble for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you do, you do. Yeah, but but I also think that writing hard. <laughs> the, the idea, of the concept of synthesizing, like yeah. it really is just taking the influences and then making it your own thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. clear, like. You know, some of it has ended up in lawsuits, but it's clear, like, some of the stuff that you hear and you go, oh, yeah, that sounds a lot like Marvin Gaye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Maybe yep. to, to a legal threshold, it sounds a lot like <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Well, man, exactly. this this was great. I'm so glad that we got yeah. the chance to to talk, like, long form, like, uninterrupted. Me too. This was a lot of it. fun. And one of my favorite donut places in America is in Minneapolis, and I hope that it's still there. It's a place called Glam Doll Donuts. Glam Doll Donuts. I've I've seen it. I can't say I've ever stopped in. They have a lemon curd donut that's amazing. I well, mean, I'm going to try it on your recommendation when amazing. I go back. Amazing. Amazing. Um, lemon curd. Thank you so much for this. I truly appreciate it. 
Uh, Thanks for having me on. Oh man, you you got to be kidding! You're one of my favorites, so this is this is top notch that you were even available. So I know you got stuff to do, you got a game to prepare for, but thanks for giving me a, a few minutes to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Not a problem. Thanks for letting me uh, expound on the genius of Carol King. I always welcome any opportunity to do that. Hell yeah! We have our Carol King episode. I'm going to invite you back. <laughs> That's right. Induct her to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, everybody. Do it right now. All right, Chris, I'll see you, man. All right, see you later, Lawrence. Like I said, Christopher Hine is is really great, and I'm glad that he is still out here having a voice. He is doing all the fun stuff, and he's okay with doing some of the serious stuff, and I appreciate that about him, and I appreciate that Jonathan Tave story is out of this world, man. It's out of this world, but it's not surprising it's I don't I don't know Jonathan Taze very well. I've interviewed him a couple of times. I just from afar, this guy seems too good to be true. And I'm glad that he represents hockey and the Blackhawks the way that he does. And you have to be careful because you don't know any of these guys, right? But from the stories that I've heard about Jonathan Taves, I'm I'm more and more impressed with him every day. So thanks to Christopher Hine. He's great. You should go follow him. He he definitely has he will fight you about Carol King. He will fight you. At Christopher Hine is where you can find him on Twitter. And of course, if you live in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, you know his work. And those of you who remember him from covering the Blackhawks, you know his work as well. So big thanks to him for being on the podcast. I haven't done this in a while. I don't know why. I I mean, it's not that I don't take emails. You're more than welcome to email the podcast. Houseoflpodcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast. People don't take advantage of it. I love to respond to emails when they come in. Most of them are pretty great. But Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast. Just like this email that came in from David. He says, Lawrence, it's been a while, but I wanted to let you know you are at worst in need of seven people to buy a lawnmower ordered. Oh, he's talking about the, the Manscaped. Yeah, he ordered his today using the promo code LOHO. So, yes, Manscaped.com. Use the promo code LOHO. And you will get the lawnmower 3.0. And we need to sell eight of them for Manscaped to take us seriously. And we've already sold one, so that's great. Back to David's email. I support two podcasts today through Patreon. And I'd be more than happy to support House of L's effort if it were an option. Just wanted to drop you a line and let you know. Still loving the show and the shows. That's from Dave. Here's my thing. I've debated whether or not to take house of l to patreon and i i just i'm more comfortable with the other model i'm more comfortable instead of asking listeners to pay for the content i'd rather connect listeners with advertisers and have that be the way that i pay for the podcast and we're we're doing all right like we're Above water, I can pay Russ and Jason, and I can pay Maddie Lee, which is great. And I want to pay more people. That's the goal. I, I'm going to try really hard to not inundate the podcast with advertising, but I, I do want to grow this in the way to grow it outside of what I what I'm now calling House of L Actual, like I'm House of L Actual, <laughs> outside of my own podcast, is to bring more people in, and and hopefully build something really cool. So, yeah, I've I've been approached by Patreon, and they they've actually said like you can make a, I can make money from less listeners if I did it that way. By the way, we work with a company company called Red Circle. And if you want to donate to the podcast, you are more than welcome to. Like our page on Red Circle, if you go to redcircle.com and you find House of L, you can literally donate to the podcast. I would prefer that in this particular instance that you hit manscaped 
Lawnmower3.com up and hit the promo code LOHO. Buy yourself a lawnmower 3.0. It works for you and it works for me. It's not an actual lawnmower. That's what they call it. But you can use it to trim yourself up wherever you may feel that you need to get trimmed up. You can do that. Fair? Fair. So thanks, Dave, and anyone else who has already gone out to support the podcast. We really do appreciate you helping us. And and it's good. I've, I've got high hopes for where the podcast goes over the next six months for sure. Like, that's the way that I look at it as is can I pay the people who do a podcast for me through 2021? And the answer to that question is yes. So that's good news. It's real good news for Russ and Jason and Maddie. Super good news for them. Beyond that, like there's still there's still a business side that I I struggle with because I want to spend more time on the creative side. But if we get in a a good group of like rotating sponsors, then I think that we're going to be all right. And we've we've done well so far like Zenny and the way that that Zenny has come through. I I really appreciate the partnership with them and it get glasses and tell them that you got glasses with Zinni because we told you to. Um, it's really easy, by the way. And I I got all my stuff quick. I thought it was going to take more time after I put in my script and everything, but it has not. And it has gone really well. And I really like my glasses, so that's what's up. So um, that's it, man. That's all I got. I'm going to stop messing with y'all and asking y'all to buy stuff. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. I know I did. Christopher said he did. He hit me up, actually, before we went. I told him it was going to go live, and he was like, man, A-Rod. A-Rod's going to own the Timberwolves now. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, we were just talking about J-Lo. I said, the episode is coming out. So you can hear it. You can hear all of the stuff. So big thank you to him. Thank you to you for listening to the podcast. Please Go into the catalog, man. There might be some people that you think we have an interview that we have. Listen to some of these great interviews. They're timeless, really timeless. Thanks for your support. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you next time. Hey.